Welcome back to the Happy Saver podcast. I think most of you know me by now, but for those who don't, I'm Ruth and I have been creating the Happy Saver blog and podcast for six years now. And I basically spend my days discussing putia or money with anyone who is interested. And via this podcast, I'm particularly interested in sharing the money stories of everyday Kiwis, no matter their age or stage of life. Basically, I'm just endlessly fascinated by what others choose to do with money. And my intention is to learn their story and then I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable and hopefully actionable stories of fellow Kiwis who have gone out on a limb to speak with me and share their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance right here in Aotearoa. So let's crack on. When I did a shout out a few episodes back about hearing from people aged 30 or below, you didn't disappoint. And as a result, you are going to be hearing from a few more of them over the coming months. Youngest so far to get in touch was 19-year-old Nathan, and it's his story that I'm going to be sharing with you today. In November of 2022, he will graduate from Polytech with a diploma in quantity surveying with two years of industry experience, no debt, and a job lined up. Added to that, he is also helping to pay for his partner's tertiary studies as well. I think his story is worth sharing with high school students wondering where to from here as they gear up to leave school. But before I jump into it, I've just got a quick message from Pocketsmith, the sponsors of today's episode. I do like a bargain, so imagine my delight when my favourite local restaurant said that they were looking for a mystery shopper, all expenses paid. My family is less interested in budgeting and bargain hunting, but they do love eating. And all we had to do was order, eat and pay the $125 bill. I categorised this as an expense in my dining out budget within Pocketsmith. Once I gave the restaurant my glowing feedback, they reimbursed the cost of our delicious dinner and I categorised this as income in my dining out budget within Pocketsmith, meaning that one cancelled out the other. Given that we eat out about twice a month, I managed to halve this monthly expense, freeing up money to use elsewhere. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Now, if you have been following my podcast for a while, you might remember the podcast I shared about Aria and Dave. That was back in episode number 51. Aria and her husband Dave, they didn't grow up with much, so once they got together, they knew they didn't want to live paycheck to paycheck like many of their friends in Fano. When we spoke, they were in their mid-40s, they had reached a point where they could work part-time and afford to be generous with their time and money to help others while taking care of their immediate family. Well, I'm pleased to say that the apple does not fall far from the tree. Nathan, my latest interviewee, is their son. Now, I went back and I listened to that episode after I'd written this one up, and I was really interested to hear it, having now learned a bit more about their older son, Nathan. And Nathan, please go and take a listen to it yourself. I know that lots of the conversations we had and the questions we covered were equally well covered by your mum. Now, having spoken to his mum, I feel I already knew a little bit about him, but I'll give you a quick rundown. He was born in West Auckland, and he spent the first 10 years there before moving to Bay of Plenty. He recalls it as being a big lifestyle shift, moving from New Zealand's biggest city to a smaller town. But he remembers coming home with mud on his knees and sand in his shoes after a busy day at school or with friends in the park. 
Plus, he remembers that when they moved, his parents stopped working as much and it was quite a significant change. There was talk about money in their whare and his earliest memories are from the age of seven or eight and getting pocket money. He had to save up for weeks on end before his parents would take him out to buy the toy that he had his eye on. They would encourage him to shop around and buy at the best price and he said it was ingrained in him since day one to save his money and look for the best price. And when you find that thing that you want, make sure you are 100% happy with your purchase because money is finite. Nathan said it would have been easy for him growing up in a double income household to take money for granted, but because his parents came from less fortunate backgrounds, money was something to be managed and scrutinised, and he said that he took to it like a duck to water. I asked if he worked a job while he was at school, but he said he didn't work a day until he graduated high school. Now given I know he is about to graduate debt-free, this surprised me, and I wondered why he didn't work during school. And I should point out that I don't think that all kids should work while at school. It works for some and not for others. He said pragmatically, you don't get your childhood twice. So your focus should be on schooling and everything that it involves. He wanted to take on extracurricular activities to the fullest and a part-time job would get in the way of that. His parents were encouraging Nathan to get a paper-run job, but he pushed back, reasoning that he had plenty of time ahead in his life to work. Thanks very much. Instead, he threw himself into playing in video tournaments, cricket and taekwondo tournaments. He won gold medals and he created fantastic memories, none of which he regrets. He knew too that his parents, and sometimes his grandparents, had been putting a little bit aside each month into a savings account to be used after he finished school to help him ease himself into the next step. And this saving for the future was very much talked about. His mum, Aria, would always tell him and his brother that the account was there for them when they went to tertiary education, and they were also encouraged to add money themselves to this pot. So, a strong theme developed that there would be some financial backing from parents, and I found this really interesting for two reasons. Now, I advocate setting aside a small yet consistent sum of money each week for your child for future use once they leave home, and secondly, I'm an even bigger advocate of telling them about it. I have invested a small amount for my daughter since she was born, with the purpose being to give her a financial step up and teach her how earning, saving and investing work. Now the reason is that I can see that life is only getting more expensive. My child's chances of saving up enough to pay cash for tertiary education is getting harder and harder. But it is doable if you start saving early and get them to add to the pot as well as they start to earn. I think you should always tell your kids about this because they can see the effort that has gone into growing this money and they won't take it for granted when it is given to them. Nathan knows that since he was born, his whānau put just a little bit each week into a savings account for him. Many parents don't tell their kids because they think it will make them lazy, but I think it teaches them the value of compounding returns. And if you make them put some of their own money in along the way, it gives them ownership of the investment, meaning that they won't waste it. If you secretly save up a stash and then hand it to them at 18, They have no awareness of the time it took to earn it. They are much more likely to blow it. So given the fact that this kid ain't keen on working, just who paid for Nathan's sports tournaments? Well, his parents did. They set money aside for this purpose and were always happy to front up and pay. They saw it as part and parcel of him having the best childhood. They encouraged him to find the savings where he could, like carpooling with his peers, and to be 100% all in on all his endeavours. 
So while money was being openly discussed at home, it was also being talked about amongst his peers during school as well. And he shared a few experiences where money and life interacted. During year 12 in high school, Nathan and his friends set up and ran a food delivery business where fellow students paid them $5 to run down the street and get their food from a local takeaway. Nathan was the money man behind the operation, tracking and recording the incomings and the outgoings, which gave him some practical accounting and management experience. Before it was even a thing, they were Uber Eats, realising that some people are willing to pay others to bring them their kai. In year 13, he was part of a group that put on a big Broadway musical, and he was in charge of fundraising and budgeting, giving him real-world experience in running a small business. They sold 600 tickets over three nights, making about $3,000 for New Zealand children's charity Kids Can. So while he didn't have a job of his own with his own income coming in, he was getting some excellent experience from being part of a group that was. And I love this, especially the philanthropic nature of what he and his fellow students did for Kids Can. Philanthropy was not specifically taught at home, but he said that definitely his mum's big thing was being grateful for what you have and acknowledging that others don't have the same support systems, but that you can help out. Now, any parent will know that there is a lot that goes into making sure your child is choosing the right subjects as they progress through NCEA, and it's really hard to know what to choose if your tamariki don't know what they want to do in life. I'm 48, and I'm still trying to work that one out. But Nathan said that he was one of the lucky few who found what he wanted to do very early on. Since the age of just 14, he has known about quantity surveying, and he wanted to do it. At that time, his dad was working as a builder and he took Nathan to work with him one day and let him experience what that work and that environment was like, showing him as many aspects of the industry as he could. He got the unique opportunity to speak with the CEO who said that as long as you have attained your NCEA math and English, that is all you need to join an apprenticeship program and start to work. He learned that in the building industry, it's about managing money, people and projects. From there, it is a good launch into business management and project management. He quickly worked out that this industry really called to him. Great parenting, right? I think that any career advisor listening to this would be high-fiving Nathan's dad here. We don't know what is available to us unless someone takes the time to share, and that simple step of taking his son to work for a day exposed him to a myriad of opportunities. It just broadens horizons. Now fortunately, Nathan stuck at school to the end of year 13. He took the position that youth only comes once and he would not leave after level 2 NCEA, which is what that CEO was advocating. He could see that it would have made sense financially, but his childhood was finite and he wanted to make the most of it and the money could wait. Because he knew what he would be going on to study at the Polytech, he let that dictate the subjects that he took at high school, leaning more into the business, math and geography type subjects. But surprisingly, given he knew what he wanted to do, he actually failed some of those subjects. So in year 13, his final year at school, he actually pivoted into other areas that he had really enjoyed in his earlier years, like drama and history, and he did really well in those. And I'm pleased that he did that, getting to explore a whole range of subjects, but gaining himself enough credits to do his polytech course, showing that you don't want to niche down too early in life. During year 13, he applied for the Diploma in Quantity Surveying course at his local Polytech. He also applied for the scholarships that they were offering, and he received $2,500, which he used to buy himself a laptop. 
I often hear it said that scholarships are only for the top students and it's a waste of your time to apply if you are not that student. That's incorrect. And as Nathan pointed out, the Polytechnic had a system where they had $5,000 to split between two students for every secondary school in the region, and he got one of those. For his year of school leavers, going to Polytech instead of university was not actually a popular choice. People wanted to go to uni and have that halls experience, by which I mean the halls of residence, so applying to the local Polytechnic had far less competition. Plus, he was the whole package, with very good grades from school, plus lots of good extracurricular activities to round him out, so he knew he was a good bet for the Polytech to take on. Now, while his grades were good, he passed all his subjects with merit endorsement, and he got a couple of excellent endorsements as well. He was not in the top percentile. He said that being top of the class is not necessary, and he thinks it's not even the top thing that they are looking for when you apply to a course. He continued to live at home while he studied, and his parents charged him a token gesture of $30 a week to live there. Now, and this is the good bit, the Diploma in Quantity Surveying course he signed up for was, or is, completely financed by the government as part of their Targeted Training and Apprenticeship Fund, which offers free trades training. It is specifically targeting areas that need more workers, and you can just Google that to find out more. For Nathan, this was a happy coincidence that he willingly signed up for an industry with a shortage of workers. This was a really lucky break for him. Had the scheme not been in place, and do note that these free training courses change as the employment needs of a particular sector change, he still would have had the first year of his course fees-free, as per the Labour government's commitment to tertiary education, and his fees for his second year would have been around $8,000. When he signed up for his course, his last hurdle before being accepted was an interview and during it, they gave him some really clear directions on how to make the most of the course. They advised him to go out and get a job in the construction industry and that the best way to get his foot in the door was to go to one of the merchants like Bunnings or ITM, Mitre 10 or Placemakers and get a part-time job. So that's what he did. His dad, with his connections in the building industry, helped him get a job interview and the rest was up to Nathan, and he managed to get himself a job at Placemakers. Again, I love this parental support. In case you're wondering, it was not nepotism, he got the job because he was inherently employable, but having a parent or an adult help create a pathway is what good parenting and networking are all about. I see this form of a job application as being a win-win. The employer doesn't have to go searching so hard, and when someone like Nathan does knock on their door, they are already a quality applicant. Remember, none of us really knew how to apply for work. We all had to learn the skills somewhere. So I'd encourage you to call on your own job application skills and help your kids out here. And for anyone new to job hunting, but with no idea how to find a job, just start asking some trusted adults how they went about it. So straight out of school, he started working just a few hours at Placemakers, but as he picked up what was required of him, They bumped him up to about 25 hours a week, which he continued to do throughout his first year of study and into his second. Coming back to that bank account that his parents had been saving up for him for over 18 years, their small weekly savings, by my calculations, it was probably about $4 to $5 a week, grew to $4,000, a meaningful amount to help get him started. He used $3,000 of this to buy himself his first car so that he could get to and from his course and his place of work. Now, I bet you were thinking that the amount would be a lot higher, right? 
But if you listen back to his parents' episode, for the first three quarters of Nathan's life, they had their own financial challenges to deal with, but still, they had obviously committed to the small savings account for each of their kids. And Nathan, when he received it, he didn't blow it. He used it carefully, very carefully indeed. His classes were generally three days a week, and he would then work full-time two weekdays and a half day on Saturday. But I had to ask, how did he do both? Isn't it impossible to work and study at the same time? No, it's not impossible at all. He said that his coursework was not massive. Outside of his three days of classes, he probably did about six hours of study at most, completing assignments and what have you, and he could fit that in during the evenings. He said that most weeks he would go to class, pay attention, and apply himself while in class, and that was enough. When he first started at Placemakers, he was making about $19 gross an hour, then the minimum wage increased to $20, then $21 per hour, and all the while he was gaining some really practical experience to apply to his coursework. In his second year of study, he stepped things up a notch, once again with the help of his father, who by this stage was actually off the tools and working in a training role himself, and he actually ended up taking one of the classes Nathan attended. He got the worst marks of all the classes, he said, ruling out any thoughts of his father handing out top grades to his son. But what he didn't give Nathan in grades, he gave him in life experience instead, taking Nathan to each construction company in their town and waiting while Nathan walked in the door, CV in hand, and asked to speak with their quantity surveyor. And his pitch was, I am studying and I'll end my course this year. Would you please take me on for one day a week to do some work experience so that when I graduate, I have a year's worth of industry experience. Now, this is a genius move because Nathan knows that when he graduates at the end of 2022, there will be 20 other fresh graduates asking for work, and he wanted to get the edge on them. He got an interview with a company, and it turns out that the interviewer's son used to do taekwondo with Nathan. So all those different things he did at school are now connecting him with others in the working world. And they gave him a day a week starting in January of 2022, and they paid the minimum wage. He juggled that work with his placemaker's work. And I'm pleased to say that things are panning out as well as he hoped they would. In mid-2022, they said, you're coming to the end of your course. We've had a staff member leave, and we have a big job coming up that requires someone to do project administration work. They actually asked him to come on full-time for his mid-year break. So he left placemakers and he started working full-time in his new job, then cutting down to 20 hours a week when his course started back up. It has been a really awesome experience, he said, feeling part of the team. He feels very lucky for the opportunities he has been given by the construction industry, given that he is so young. He considers getting this cadetship as his biggest financial triumph. Taking the initiative and going out there to find a job in the industry has given him invaluable experience. Even if, at the end of this year, they say that they can't take him on, he can go out to the industry saying, I have a year's worth of QS experience, plus one and a half years of experience in the distribution side of the construction industry. It's a unique selling point compared to his peers. I wonder what his tutors thought of how motivated he is. He said that some of them worried about his workload, but his dad in particular is chuffed about how it's all working out. And whereas he said no to working while he was at school, Because of all the skills those extracurricular activities in the school workload itself would give him, he embraced working while studying at a tertiary level because he could see how much of a leg up it would give him. But 
I was thinking all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, so how does Nathan have fun? He and his girlfriend do lots of house sitting, taking care of other people's homes and pets, and he is still actively involved in taekwondo. Less of the competing, though, he said, more of the watching others punch each other in the face. Um, He enjoys online gaming with his girlfriend and a bunch of friends, and just generally sounds like he enjoys this stage of life. So where, you might ask, is all of his money going? He still lives at home, paying $30 a week. For a budding student, if you can stay living at home while you are studying, you will save yourself an absolute fortune. It is more expensive to live than study, so those with parents or extended whānau living in the town you want to study in, take that opportunity and live cheaply with them. You will still get to make a bunch of friends through whatever course you choose to take. His partner of three and a half years lives walking distance away from Nathan with her whānau, and she is studying early childhood education full-time, which is a three-year course. She also works part-time, but apart from her first year being fees-free, she is covering all her other course costs, which are about $7,000 a year. While he has been earning money with no fees and little to no board to pay, he is contributing $100 a week to keeping her out of debt too, working together to pay cash for her course, and has been doing so since about December of 2020. This is both rare and kind. Whereas he has had the benefit of parents who have worked themselves into a good financial situation over many years, his mum in particular has had a big focus on personal finance and has shared the things that they've learned along the way with Nathan and his brother. His girlfriend has not had that exposure. Now, we didn't talk about her too much. In hindsight, it would have been really fantastic to have her on the call too. But he explained that she has had a lot of hardship in her upbringing And part of that was her family always living in a rented property and the uncertainty that comes with that, them buying things on finance, taking out personal loans, and generally going down that path due to lack of income, due to only one income earner in the home. So Nathan is sharing what he knows about money and helping her build good financial habits on her own. Now, I love this. No matter your age, having a responsible friend come alongside you and help break that cycle of not-so-useful financial habits is wonderful. And I asked Nathan if he expected to be repaid for the money that he has given her. No, not at all. This is just a practical way that he can support her, and together they talk about money, and she's come to have a really good financial head on her shoulders too. So with Koha of $100 for his girlfriend, The rest of his income goes on the usual things in life, like the petrol and insurance on his car, coke and lollies, and about $100 a week that he generally spends on clothes, food, and fun stuff. Otherwise, his plan is to stay living at home once he is working full-time and rapidly save up a deposit to buy a home for him and his girlfriend to move into. From his current income, he puts 3% into his KiwiSaver. Once he works full-time and he expects to earn a salary of about $60,000 right off the bat, he will raise those contributions to 10%. He then plans to move his KiwiSaver, which is with ASB, with a balance of about $5,000 from a growth fund to a conservative fund. And he's doing that in readiness to pull out the money for a first home. After paying into KiwiSaver and paying tax, he estimates that he will be left with about $800 a week. He plans to keep his expenses as low as he can, but build his emergency fund, or what he calls his war chest, up higher than the $500 that is currently already there. Now, how on earth does a 19-year-old know all this? Korero with Fano, that is how. Nathan said that his mum and him 
have crunched some numbers and come to the realization that he can save $600 a week and over 50 to 75 weeks, that should get him enough money for a 10% deposit on a two to three bedroom standalone house worth about $650,000. They have settled on this house value by keeping an active interest in property sales in the area that he is looking to buy. Now it goes without saying that when I asked him the question of, if you were given $10,000 right now, what would you do with it? It would go straight into his rapid savings account house deposit fund. Now after our chat, I had an email from his mum in relation to something else, but she thanked me for having a chat with Nathan. But she did point out that she was pleasantly surprised that he did get in touch and speak with me. She said that of her two kids, he was the not interested in money child. She was happy that he did get the chance to correro with another adult, because sometimes you can hear a lot better when it's not your mum talking, she said. Now you could have fooled me. I knew that there were two kids in this family, and I knew that one was interested in personal finance, and I could easily have thought that Nathan was that kid. The rate I'm going, I think I actually might need to chat to the other son too, because Nathan was one of the most coherent young people I've ever spoken with. And I feel it just goes to show that as a parent, you might not think your kids are taking it all in, but they absolutely are. He said in an email to me that he is so incredibly grateful for how his parents have set him up on such an amazing financial path. They've given him such a huge amount of useful knowledge about money and a stable home life. I think that Nathan's parents are going to listen to this and realize that they have had a lot of really positive influence on not just their son, but also on the people he comes into contact with. And that is a parenting win and should be motivation enough to stay engaged even after he eventually leaves home. Now, I used to work in the new home building industry, so I've worked with a number of quantity surveyors over the years. And whenever I think of them, they are sat at a huge desk surrounded by piles of paperwork with elaborate spreadsheets. These men and women are planners, and Nathan is a planner, and so is his mum. So when I wondered out loud why on earth a 19-year-old would be so focused on owning a house when it's not on most young people's radar, he told me how he is planning for his future. He's been living at home for 19 years now loves his family to pieces and considers himself lucky he said that he is still able to stand living with them. But he is ready to have his own space with his girlfriend. But that takes planning. And he is so right. In today's housing market, if you just up and decide you want to buy a home, chances are that you can't because you don't have the deposit money. Nathan knows he wants to buy a home in a few years' time, so he is actively planning on how to save his deposit. Secondly, he considers owning a home as an investment. If he moved out and started to rent, that would all be an expense and it would make it much harder to save $600 a week towards a home deposit. And thirdly, he and his partner both have ambitions to have a family and the sooner they have their living situation stable, the sooner they have the option to do that. Now, is she on board with this idea, I had to ask? Well, yes, apparently she is a planner just like him. Now, when we agreed to have a chat, as I do with all the people I interview, I offered him the chance to ask me anything he wanted, and I promised that I'd help where I could. And we ended up having a really long chat about tapping into his KiwiSaver for a home deposit. With only $5,000 in there at the moment, I encouraged him to try to leave that balance intact. After all, just another eight weeks of saving would get him that $5,000, and I encouraged him to do several things with his money at the same time. And that included saving for retirement and, in capital letters and, 
saving for a house deposit somewhere else. Once he is salaried, he wanted to also begin investing into an index fund, just $30 a week, and he asked for some suggestions from me. Now, I encouraged him to use it as an educational tool, starting with $10, not $30, while he was saving up for his house deposit and saving for his retirement. I encouraged him to not take on too much at once. If he is contributing to his KiwiSaver, don't forget that that is already investing. And that spare $20 is probably better spent being stashed into his house deposit bank account than being invested. Soon enough, he will have a home, and once he settles into life with a mortgage, and while he continues to save into his KiwiSaver, then he will create some wiggle room to think about investing. And having invested $10 a week for a couple of years by then, he will understand how that works and be comfortable upping contributions. Or he might decide to smash out his mortgage instead. Who knows? But all I was saying was just take one step at a time. Now as to where to put a $10 investment each week, I'm not a financial advisor and I can't give financial advice, but I would be looking to invest in just one exchange-traded fund or ETF that buys an entire market. And the best lesson on investing I can offer anyone listening to this is to Google JL Collins, A Simple Path to Wealth, Google Talk, and give yourself a crash course on index fund or ETF investing. More lately, he said that he has had some conversation with peers about building a credit rating to increase his chances of taking out a mortgage, and he wanted to chat about that. Now, my view on a credit rating is that they are more a US thing than a New Zealand thing, and you don't need to go out and actively take on debt to show you can pay off debt. His parents' motto is to avoid credit card debt, and he has never had one, and there is, in my mind, no need to start now. He'd be better off going and having a meeting with a mortgage broker or someone in the mortgage department of a couple of banks to get an idea of what they are looking for when someone wants to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars for their first home. Take their guidance would be my advice on that. A philosophy that has done me well is don't take financial advice of people who have no money, so seek some good advice from those with the experience to give it. Once he does buy a home and takes on the big financial commitment of a mortgage, I wonder what his intentions were about paying it off, fast or slow. It will depend, he said, on his income and outgoings, and he will first concentrate on raising the deposit and then put a plan in place closer to the time. Now, given the fact he's been with his girlfriend for over three years already and is actively supporting her studies, I asked if he will buy this home with her. Will it be a joint asset, given that they are planning the years ahead together? I was actually surprised when he said no. The plan is to keep any money she has out of the property. He will make the down payment and it will be his asset. Therefore, there will be no dispute over it if something were to happen, such as their relationship ending. She will live there and pay for utilities and groceries, much like a flatmate would. Now, I have to say this confused me. (laughs) Having spent so many years intertwining their lives when they are dealing with the hundreds of dollars, why split themselves apart now just because the sums are getting bigger? And he said he's not entirely sure why they will split it. Because her studies have another year to go, he would be the only one who could put money towards the down payment, and he does not want her to put a small amount of money in and then have 50% ownership. Now, I have to be honest, this just sounded like short-term thinking to me. Unless there are sound reasons why, such as financial abuse or any kind of abuse, or maybe businesses or children from a previous relationship being involved, for example, I can't see why people are so hell-bent on keeping their money separate these days. 
when every other part of your life is intertwined, what's the big deal about sharing your money? Everything he told me about his spouse pointed to a long-term relationship of three and a half years, with no signs of slowing down. He talked about a home for the two of them to live in and possible children in the future. He is helping her financially already because he cares about her getting through her study without debt. But that is just the first chapter of their life together. There are many more to be written. From 2023, he will be working full-time with a starting salary of $60,000. His income will only grow. From 2024, she will also start to work full-time. Now, I googled early childhood teachers and their starting salary is about $49,000 up to $72,000. So within two short years, these two are going to have similar incomes and both will equally be able to contribute to their relationship financially. I know in my own relationship with Johnny, he had finished studying and was working full-time when we met. I was in my final year of uni. And about three years into our relationship, we pulled our incomes, but he created the deposit from his savings while working full-time, and we bought a house together. I think for Nathan, he needs to talk with his partner about where they are headed as a couple, and how each of them will feel in, say, four years' time, when she's paying him rent on his asset, yet they are a committed couple. How is she going to grow her own wealth? Also, if they go on to have children, Will he be paying her a salary to care for his child while she is off work? If he wants to be in his house, then they both need to visit a lawyer and get a relationship property agreement in place at the time of purchase. All I'm saying is that it is much easier when you have a shared vision and a shared goal and are not counting what the other is contributing because that is going to vary so much over your lifetime. And I've said it before, but I have noticed that couples who combine money discuss it openly, and just get on with life seem to be a lot more united and content. Nathan might just need to ask his own parents about how it has been for them, perhaps. Now, I honestly think that it is vital in a relationship from the get-go to talk about money a little and often. This will lead to conversations about the day-to-day ways you each handle money, but also lead into talking about what the future of money looks like between the two of you. Will you buy a home? Will you have children? How many holidays will you have? And will you be staying in a tent or a resort? Will you get a $3,000 dog that needs a $120 haircut every two months? Or the short-haired, no-nonsense SPCA breed? Do you buy Evian water or drink tap water? Which is more of an investment, a DeWalt power tool or a Yumi handbag? We each value and use money in different ways, and it is logical to me to tune into each other early on and end the relationship early if you are not liking what you see. I often talk about combining money with your partner, not because I'm religious in any way, just that I'm really practical and I have experienced myself and have seen in others that combining your finances has emotional and financial benefits for both parties. And I asked Johnny why it makes sense to combine our incomes and he said it's just easier. And he is a man of few words, but he summed it up well. I think that Nathan and his partner both have the ability to plan ahead. And I would encourage them both to continue to build a future together, not separately. Currently, they are both very low income earners, but that won't be the case for much longer. And I think that technically, in the eyes of a property lawyer, they already have shared financial lives. So why not build upon that foundation? Now, talking with Nathan, I said something along the lines of, are you in or are you out? Sharing your small income with your partner since 2020 would indicate you're in. Excluding her from a house purchase would indicate you are out. 
Plus, I don't know without speaking with her, but I would imagine that it could feel hurtful to be excluded from such an exciting life event. Teamwork works, so perhaps it's worth stopping trying to be so independent, try to work together as you have already been doing, and talk about it now. And if you decide to financially go your own ways while staying in a relationship, go and talk to a lawyer and get an agreement signed up so that you both understand what the financial agreement is between the two of you. Enough about that, time to move on. I asked Nathan what was one piece of advice that his parents gave him that has stuck with him, and he said that they advised that 10% of all earnings go into savings of some description, no matter what. Whether it's an investment, your emergency fund, or just saving for a new thing, you must never spend your whole paycheck. Now, I wondered if someone so young has managed to have a financial flop yet. Well, he had been saving up for a new Nintendo Switch games console, and at that stage he didn't have an emergency fund or his war chest set aside, but he had saved up the $500 to pay cash for the console. So that was all his available cash gone. That very night, someone tried to steal his car. They didn't manage to, but he was left with a very costly repair to fix, the window and the ignition barrel. And it taught him that by not prioritizing his war chest money or having that stash of cash to solve a money drama, Murphy's Law will come for you. And it got him good this time. Now his war chest is sitting at $500, plus he has some additional savings and the support of his parents as his last resort to fall back on. His bank account structure is relatively straightforward, although with time I suspect it will grow in complexity. He has a general checking account where his income and expenses come and go from. He has a savings account to put towards his girlfriend's studies, one saving account so he can upgrade his car, an emergency fund account plus his KiwiSaver account. Now, as for tools and resources, I wondered if he had any recommendations. Nope, nothing specific. He figures that if you are taking in media about personal finance, any money chat, basically, you are in a good place. And of course, the more you look at it, the more it will show up in your social media feed. Now, I'm really excited for Nathan to complete his course and get out into the workforce and begin to experience what it is like to make a good amount of money. I think that when he does, it is really going to broaden his range of experiences. For now, his world is relatively small, as is appropriate for his age, and he lives life pretty close to home. But with more life experience and with more income, he's going to get to experience some cool stuff, which obviously includes a home and maybe a family. But I'm sure he will also get to go out and explore some more of the world too. Now, I'm nearing the end, but before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from today's sponsor. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, then I've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. I was thinking back to the end of my schooling and my transition onto the next thing. It was really hard because Unlike Nathan, I didn't have a clear direction. As the fifth of five children, my parents wanted the place to themselves for once, which is fair enough, and I was advised that leaving home might be an excellent idea, so I was out flatting by the age of 18. It was the right thing to do, let's just say that my social life was not compatible with theirs, and I was also at Polytech at the age of 19, but I certainly had very little career idea or financial clue. I did have some really good tutors though who were instrumental in helping me find work after my course and my parents were also really supportive in helping me find work. It was interesting to talk to Nathan having spoken with his mum a while ago. 
It sounds like there is a healthy amount of distance between the two. Teenagers need to explore life on their own, after all. But enough of a foundation and a home for him to always return to. I'm always looking for parenting tips, and the tip I take away from the really enjoyable conversation I had with Nathan is that small yet frequent conversations about money, they do pay off in the long run. And whether you are a parent, a teacher, a mentor, or a friend, you might not think that they are listening to you, but if the advice you share is sound, they are, and they will apply it to their life when required. Nathan knows he doesn't have it all figured out just yet, but he knows a ton more than the average 19-year-old, that's for sure. He is a teenager with a lot of common sense, and in our conversation, when he found a piece of the puzzle of life, he set about putting it into place, like finding that course he's doing, getting his first job at Placemakers, then transitioning onto his cadetship. But as any good quantity surveyor does, he is putting all the pieces together and asking a lot of questions too. He asked me a lot of excellent questions about money, things he had been wondering about, things he thought he might need to start wondering about. What he wishes had been more advertised during high school is the number of options you have in terms of your career. If you are in high school, the options that you think you have are just a fragment of the options available. Just in the construction industry alone, there are so many layers to peel back. His advice to school leavers is not to worry. You don't have to know what you are doing straight out of school. But just know that something is out there for every single one of you. Honestly, he had his head screwed on straight. He seems to be living life right where he is at, making the most of each stage, and I really like that. No doubt that things will go well for him in the future, and no doubt some things will go wrong as well, but he seems level-headed enough to work it all out. Getting qualified debt-free is a huge deal. Huge. It means that once he graduates and joins the workforce, he won't have to put 12% of each paycheck towards debt year after year. He is free and clear, looking forward instead of paying off something that he has finished with. I want people listening to this to change their mindset about, oh, you have to have a student loan. As Nathan has shared, that's just not true. With a bit of fortuitous course choice, living at home, plus actually working a job throughout his course, they've really propelled him forwards. And with a bit of planning, it will work for others as well. So thanks, Nathan, for taking a few hours out of your day to share your situation. I think that for others at your stage of life, it's going to give them another perspective on the options available. So that is all from me this week. I thought maybe seeing us talking to a 19-year-old, I might have managed a shorter episode, but I don't think I did. (laughs) But if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would, of course, love it if you could give me a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share it with your friends. It is the best way that people can learn about the podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about Pootsia with your own friends and whānau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Thank you.